different weeks, I'm sure I'm going to forget different things. I forgot my Bible this week, so uh, I've got a pew Bible, so we'll see how this uh, works out since it's not exactly the one I'm familiar with. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to give you a couple slides of outlines of Ephesians that I found online, uh, though I've been reviewing Ephesians for longer than I want to admit. But one outline for Ephesians looks something like this. Sit, walk, stand, or in this case it says seated, walk, stand. Uh, Watchman E was an a, uh, imprisoned Christian in China. Uh, he probably died in the 19, I'm going to guess, 60s. He wrote a lot of devotional books. So if you're anywhere near my age, you may very well be familiar with the name Watchman E. He wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. Wrote a book, Love Not the World. Wrote lots of devotional books. Very insightful. The kind of um, insights you oftentimes get when you're suffering and in prison. So in Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, it's talking about uh, the churches or believers sit, their position in Christ. We're seated. We've been seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. It's all what God has done by his grace. Then in chapter 4 through chapter, verse, uh, chapter 6 verse 14, it's our walk. How we are to walk in light of the fact that we've been seated with Christ. And then the stand comes later in chapter 6 where to stand firm and face the enemy. Uh, the fiery darts of the enemy uh, were in battle with Satan, uh, the dark forces of, of this world, uh, and so we stand. So there's this, this sequence, sitting, walking, standing, and it's necessarily in that order. That's one way to outline Ephesians. We're in chapter 5, for, so we are firmly in the middle of that walking stage. What does it look like if you are saved by God's grace... What does it look like to be walking as the church, as believers? The second slide will probably be a little hard to see the first part. That's a Bible up at the top, and then it divides down into two halves. The doctrinal half in chapters 1 to 3, and the practical half in chapters 4 to 6. In chapters 1 to 3, it says, details, it details the heavenly calling of the church. It's the calling of the church. Then chapters 4 to 6 are the earthly conduct of the church. Our heavenly calling and our earthly conduct. You can't live good if you haven't been made good. The made good part is what God does in Christ. That's our heavenly position. Having been made good, we are now free to be good in our everyday walk, the, the church's conduct. What we're going to look at specifically this morning is understanding God's will. And we're in chapter 5, and what we're going to look at in understanding God's will is going to be in verses 15 to 17. But of course, we're not going to entirely park there. We'll be all over the place. But that's where we're going to start. That's our base text. So in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15... It reads like this. Well, actually, it's on the screen now that I think about it. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, we've dealt with most of those, what's in those few verses already. 
What I want to focus in on is understanding what the will of the Lord is. And as I studied this out this week, and as I you know, wrote it up in my notes, and then on Saturday I put it into these PowerPoint slides, and as I thought about it more, some things struck me that I hadn't thought of earlier, in a sense that's almost more important than everything else that I want to say. It's kind of an addendum, but it struck me, and it kind of goes like this. Oftentimes, it's interesting, I wonder if this thing got a pointer. Does it have a pointer? Yeah, but it's hard to see. Maybe you can see. Can you see that? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's very interesting to me that the verb Paul uses is understand. And what we typically say is we need to discover God's will. Or we say we need to find God's will. And Paul said we need to understand it. I think that's significant. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm overthinking it, but the way I'm kind of figuring this out is a lot of times when we talk about discovering or finding God's will, it's like there's all these different directions we can go, kind of like the picture on the bottom of that slide. There's all these different, you know, what decision do I make? You know, where do I live? What job should I have? You know, who should I marry? What school should I go to? I mean, we've got all these decisions about our money, about things we buy, whatever those decisions are, all these different directions. What I've got to discover God's will. I've got to find it. And I think that's kind of the wrong question. I think really the solution is understanding God's will. And to me, the difference, one of the, one of the key differences is, if I'm thinking about discovering it and finding it, I'm thinking about all the things I could do. And if I'm understanding God's will, it's more focused on what God is saying, what God is doing. What is he doing? What is his purpose? And I think, if I'm, I'm right about this, <clears throat> my throat's a little dry, excuse me. If I'm right about this, if I'm understanding God's will rightly, whatever choice I make is going to be honoring to Christ. So that my focus isn't so much on, I've got to discover it for my decisions, which are so important. I prioritize understanding his will to begin with. And everything else falls into place. So, the book that really nails that is Decision Making and the Will of God by Gary Friesen. It was probably wrote in the 1980s. <clears throat> when I first read this book, I could look, well, I won't. Well, maybe it'll be easy to find. It's, it's an old book. 19, that's the Bible. 1981, I think. 1981 or so. This book is so good. When I first read it, I used to kid people. And you really probably shouldn't kid. So this is a joke. It's not serious. But I used to say, if I were going to add a book to the Bible, this would be one of them. Like, this book is so good. It is so thorough. It was so mind-blowing to me because I grew up in church where God's will was like a bullseye. And you always wanted to aim for the center of the bullseye. You wanted to be, we would say, you need to be in the center of God's will. If you made the right choices, you were in the center of God's will. And this book takes exception to that and explains it every which way. And it's, it's just crazy good. I've got one extra copy if somebody wants that book. Um, if you want a really short version, I think this is 
kind of the same gist of it, but I could be wrong. It's been a long time since I've read it. But John MacArthur wrote a little book called Found God's Will. It's John MacArthur, so it's got to be pretty good, right? But uh, I've got two of these. If anybody's interested in understanding God's will, they're up there. But wait till after the service. Um, So Paul tells us to understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm going to put that over on, on one side of the screen. On the other side of the screen, there's kind of some, com- there's some, com- blah, blah, blah. there are some companion verses that go along with verse 17. They are verses 8 to 10. Verses 8 to 10 read like this. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So you've got understanding the will of the Lord. And now it says try to discern, which is a poor translation. It's, uh, that's the English Standard Version. It is a participle. So it should have an I-N-G ending. It should read like I just corrected it. And discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Because try sounds like you're going to try and sometimes you're going to get it and sometimes you don't. And that's just the way life is. But it's not like just try, just at least try. I mean, that's what you tell your kids. I can't do it. Well, try. Just try a bite. You might like it. And they try a bite and they still don't like it. Okay, but you tried it. Try, it's not try to discern God's will. It's more of a command. This is why we're to live our lives. We are discerning all along the way what is pleasing to the Lord. Two things. Our job is to be discerning what pleases the Lord. And our job is to understand what the will of the Lord is. What is pleasing to the Lord? What have you determined is please? What do you understand to be pleasing to the Lord? What do you understand to be the will of the Lord? And how did you arrive at that understanding? Those are really valid questions. Those are the kind of questions we want to answer today. So let's start by asking the question, what is the risk if we don't discern what is pleasing to him? And then what will be the risk if we don't understand what his will is? Now, I don't have to make this up because it's all right in the text. The job is to be discerning what pleases him. If I'm not discerning, the risk is in the verse before, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And on it goes. If I'm not discerning what is pleasing to the Lord, what is at risk is that I become a partner of those that are in darkness. And that's not good. And if you want to know specifically what he's talking about uh, when he says you're at risk of being a partner with those that they're not trying to please the Lord at all. What's in the context before that goes all the way back to verse 3. Now, I don't have room on the screen for this. So look at chapter 5 and verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. 
And he goes on. Because the risk is, if we are not discerning what is pleasing to him, we're going to laugh at the wrong things. We're going to be entertained by the wrong things. And we're going to excuse it all as, well, you know, I didn't really like, you know. We'll find every reason in the book why it was okay at that time. When in fact, the truth of the matter may be that I've become more of a partner with something that I never should have been a partner with because Christ isn't pleased. What is to be driving my decisions and my heart and my mind is that which is pleasing to the Lord. So the risk is I become partnered with the wrong thing. Let's ask the, second, the same question on the first set of verses. Verses 15 to 17. What is the risk if I don't understand what the will of the Lord is? What is at risk? And the answer, again, it's right in the text because he tells us, don't walk as unwise and don't be foolish. And the way not to do that is to understand what the will of the Lord is. If I don't understand, I'm walking as unwise and I'm walking as foolish. So the stakes are high if I'm not discerning and I'm not understanding, I'm really treaded headed down a, a pretty bad path. Now that's complicated by a little proverb that's re repeated twice in Proverbs, both in chapter, I think it's chapter 14, and then again in chapter 16, the proverb reads, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And that's interesting, because I don't think that's necessarily talking about somebody who is so godless, they're like, I don't even believe there is a God. Or if there is, I don't care. It's not somebody shaking their fist at God saying, there is no God. This is somebody who may very well attend church. Who may very well, in every manner, call themselves a Christian. And there's a way that seems right to them. And they're wrong. So how do we discern what's pleasing? How do we understand what the will of the Lord is? Because you, I could be fully convinced... And I could be wrong if I'm using the wrong criteria. So the next question is, how do people decide what is right and wrong? How, they, how do they decide what is wise? This is how do mo what is common, at least in our culture. And, and if we're honest, it all happens in our lives too. How do we sometimes, hopefully not often, but how do we sometimes determine what is the will of the Lord? Number one on the list, feelings. It's just feelings. I've got peace about it. I've prayed about it. I've got peace. I feel good about it. Our culture encourages you to be true to yourself. You, you get to decide what is good for you. And so if you have peace about it, if you feel good about it, it must be true. That is a way of death. That's a, very, that's a very quick path to death. The second way people decide what is right and wrong, what is wise, is circumstances. Depending on circumstances, it must, it must be God's will because of circumstances. Uh, Pharaoh thought, because of circumstances, the Red Sea's dry. An entire 
However many hundreds of thousands of Israelites just walked across that Red Sea, circumstances looked favorable that the Egyptian army could follow right after him. But God didn't promise Pharaoh and the Egyptians to go through the Red Sea and they were swallowed up. There's another story that uh, Larry will be in Acts probably, let's see, this is 2023, I think next year. Next year, where Paul's making his way to Rome, and he's on a ship, and they're, they're kind of, they want to get to Rome, but it's really not the right time to travel to Rome. But they're really eager to get to Rome, and, and Paul says, uh, the Lord has told me, like, you don't want to go to Rome, like, don't set sail now, this is not going to go well. And the captain's like, yeah, but the winds are favorable, the currents are good, I mean, it was like a perfect day today. Like if we were ever going to make it, today's the day. And so they set out to sea, and a terrific storm catches them all. And basically, they're all, they think they're all going to die. Uh, and they would have, except God has mercy on them. And they basically, the ship is destroyed. They swim to shore, and they're, they wind up being saved. But circumstances look so favorable. Just because circumstances are so favorable... That doesn't mean you are understanding the will of the Lord. It doesn't mean that you are discerning what is pleasing to Christ. Not circumstances, not feelings. Thirdly, is conscience. And by the way, all of those things have played some role. I'm not saying that they play no part. Uh, the Bible does speak of, you know, what you do, you should do in faith, you know, in good conscience. Circumstances do play a role, but they're, it's a, a very small piece of the pie. It's not number one. Conscience is interesting because I don't know what you think about conscience, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kind of particular here. Conscience, the job of conscience is not to tell you what is right and wrong. The job of a conscience is to tell you to do what is right and not do what is wrong. It's just, it can't tell you what is right, but it tells you to do right. So your conscience has to be programmed, kind of like a compass has to be programmed, or it has to, you have to calibrate it to make sure that it knows what true north is. If a compass knows what true north is, then you're going to get every direction right. But if that compass is not calibrated rightly, then everything else is wrong. Your conscience is only as good as it has been programmed. And some people's conscience has not been programmed very well. Now, you're born with a 99.9% .9 of the time, you are born with a very sensitive conscience. Because God, God kind of gifts you with that as a very young child. And so a very young child has a very sensitive conscience. And I've caught kids in church, you know, like they're trying to be sneaky and they're like going like this with something hidden behind their back. And, and they think it's amazing that I will stop them and say, what have you got? And they're like, how in the world does he know that stuff? And it's because their conscience is so tender and it's so easy to bust them. But as you get older, you get really, your conscience gets a little harder 
It be, you become more comfortable with not listening to your conscience, and your conscience gets twisted by what everybody else is telling you, and don't listen to what they tell you in church, and don't listen to what you read in the Bible. You just be true to yourself. You decide for yourself, and your conscience gets all out of whack. And if it's programmed all out of whack, it's still telling you to do what's right, but its idea of what is right is now wrong. So your conscience is only as good as it has been programmed. That is not the best way to determine what is to understand what the will of the Lord is. Lastly is counsel. That is getting advice, uh, counsel from other people. Again, it has a role, but it doesn't make any difference if all your friends say you should do that if it's wrong. It's a good piece of the puzzle, but it's not most important. Before I give you the answer to what's most important, let me start with this question. Whose will are we actually talking about when we say understand what the will of the Lord is? This might not be as easy as you think because commentators are unanimous and I think they're exactly right. It's not really God, it's Christ Jesus. Now, I, I, I get Christ Jesus is God, but it's not we're understanding the will of God in this case. In this case, it's very specifically honing in on the second person of the Trinity. What is, how are we to understand the will of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior? So it's really focused on the second person. When you see the word Lord in the epistles, I think it's probably always, I would have to check every reference, it's referring to Christ Jesus. Uh, therefore, God the Father exalted the Son, who had humbled himself and died a death on a cross, exalted him to the right hand, but, and, and all heaven and earth is going to bend the knee and confess the name which is above every name, that Jesus Christ is Lord. The New Testament is all about Jesus as Lord. Now we're to understand the will of the Lord, the will of Christ. So the number one way is the Bible. The Bible is the standard for understanding the Lord's will for us, which I would hope you expected that's what I was going to say, and it's absolutely true. The Bible is the standard for understanding what is the will of the Lord. The Bible is the standard for discerning what is pleasing to our Lord. It's in the Bible. And so I, I can't appeal to you enough to read the Bible in whatever plan you need to get yourself in that book. Uh, it may be small to start. It, it may be, I don't know what it looks like, but have a plan to read the Bible. Because that is the way to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That is the way to understand the will of the Lord. There's a wonderful little verse that you all know. It's in Psalms. The, your, I was going to say thy. The King James says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it's true. The Bible, the Bible lights every step, a feet, uh, let's see, a, a lamp to your feet. So uh, when it's a lamp to your feet, it's every step the Bible has something to say. It's also a light to your path, which is the big picture. The path is, I'm here, I want to go there, how do I get from here to there? You take this path. So it's the big picture view. The Bible gives you a big picture view, what is pleasing to Christ. It also gives you a step-by-step -step view. Because there, is all, there will always be principles and truths in Scripture that guide every step. 
by which you can honor Christ in everything that you do. That's why the Bible says, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Whatever it is, it should all be done in a way that is honoring to Christ as Lord and Savior. All right, the Holy Spirit illuminates the Bible so that we can understand the Lord's will. So the Bible is the standard. Then the Holy Spirit illuminates God's word so that he applies it to our own circumstances, our own life, uh, our own, you know, where we need corrected, where we need instructed. But the Holy Spirit takes his word and illuminates it so we have a better understanding. So we're understanding the Lord's will so that we're discerning what pleases him, what delights him. It all comes together by the Holy Spirit. There's a wonderful little verse in John. It reads this way. Jesus says to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, actually, in the Greek, there's a little definite article. He will guide you into all the truth. Because really, it's not Christian truth. It's not Western Christianity truth. The Holy Spirit guides anyone who, who has been reconciled to God into the truth. Regardless of ethnicity, nationality, background, language. Irregardless of all those things, there is the truth. And the Holy Spirit guides Christ's people into the truth. Step by step. And looking at the path, looking at the big picture. All right, let's look briefly back at uh, verse 10, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. <clears throat> what is pleasing to Christ? There's lots of ways we could answer this. I've only got a couple minutes. It's straight up 6 o'clock, so we're doing good. But I'm going to open it up for comments and questions in just a moment. When you think about what is pleasing to Christ... There's different directions you could go, but one of the things that came to my mind is in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews obviously is after Ephesians, so it's kind of the biggest book after Acts and before Revelation, the biggest letter, letter to the Hebrews. It's hard to think of what pleases the Lord or what pleases God without thinking of Enoch, but you have the same word pleases used several times in Hebrews chapter 11. It's worth looking at. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it reads this way. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By the way, this is kind of a side note, but I find that story of Cain and Abel very intriguing for several reasons. Abel offers a sacrifice that's pleasing to the Lord. Cain does not. Uh, when we're done with Ephesians, kind of my goal, my plan, I'm pretty sure we're going to go through like the early chapters of Genesis. So we'll deal with this in more in depth 
the first 11 chapters or so. That's kind of the plan. Uh, I've got a while to decide. We're only in chapter 5 of Ephesians. But we're getting there, so I've got to be thinking about it. But uh, when we get there, the way I understand it, the way that I've taught it in the past, is I think Abel offered a lamb. He wa- offered whatever out of his livestock. I think it was a good lamb. I don't think it was maimed, sick, weak. I think he offered a good lamb to the Lord. And the Lord found that acceptable. I think Cain offered the very best out of his garden. I don't think he offered like, eh, nobody wants this one anyway. It's kind of diseased. It doesn't look so good. It's overripe. I think Cain offered his very best. And it wasn't acceptable to the Lord. Because the Lord had already taught that you approach him by sacrifice, not by the best out of your garden, not by the best out of what you can produce. He taught that to Adam and Eve when he slew an animal and clothed them in, in skins. You will, your relationship with me will, it's not fixed, but it will be maintained by death and blood, not by your good works, not by your good fruits. And so Cain's, Cain's offering was not acceptable, and you know how that story turned out. So now let's get to Enoch. Verse 5 in Hebrews 11 reads this way. Oh, the the application of that is this. The application to that is, if we are going to worship the true and living God who created heavens and earth, we'd better do it God's way. I don't care how sincere you are. I don't care how sincere I am. I don't care how much I find it meaningful. It doesn't make any difference how much I'm at peace about it. It doesn't make any difference how much joy it brings me if it's not the way God prescribed. What God prescribes is far more important than how I feel about it. Now, Enoch. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians 5. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Enoch pleased God. When I was looking up uh, a slide for Enoch, somebody's sermon title was Enoch, the man who walked to heaven. I thought, what a great sermon title. So if I use that, It's really not original with me when we do Enoch in Genesis. The man who walked, he walked with God. He pleased God. He believed God was creator. He believed God rewarded those who earnestly seek him. And he walked to heaven. One of of only two individuals in scripture who never experienced death. Including Christ, actually. Christ experienced death. He just wasn't bound by it. So Enoch pleased God. Uh... In Romans chapter 12, it talks, it talks about these verses. You, you're familiar with them. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and, the English standard says, holy and acceptable to God. It's the same word, pleased. So in my mind, translate it pleasing. Not holy and acceptable to God, holy and pleasing to God. To me, there's a big difference. I mean, if, if I'm a school teacher, and, or if I'm a student, that's more likely the case, 
back in the day, when I was a student and I handed in and they're like, this is acceptable. There's a big difference between this is acceptable and this pleases me. I mean, I, I would, I think, I would rather have a, a professor or an instructor say, this pleases me. What you did pleases me, rather than, that's acceptable. We're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. It's the word pleasing again. What is good and pleasing and perfect. It's by offering my life as a living sacrifice. It's by not being conformed to this world but being transformed by renewing my mind. Your mind gets renewed by, by exposing yourself to Scripture. Scripture reprograms how you ought to think about things, and you will be pleasing to God. Another verse would be in Philippians, where in Philippians, Paul commends the church for uh, the sacrifice that they gave to his ministry, and he says it's pleasing to God. God is pleased when we sacrificially give out of our abundance to support his work. To support what he's doing in the kingdom. God says, I'm pleased by that. God doesn't need our efforts, less our money, and yet he's pleased by it. So God is pleased by by believing what he said is true, like Enoch, he's pleased by me offering my life as a living sacrifice. He's pleased by my sacrificial giving as well. Those things all please the Lord. Three last points about the Lord's will, and then I'll open it up. Number one, the Lord's will is never foolish. If you understand and pursue what is the Lord's will, it is never a foolish thing. The world may call it foolish, the world may not understand that's why, how you choose to direct some of your money. The world may not understand why you choose to uh, live your life the way that you do and make certain choices. The world may not understand, but it's never foolish. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, with the baptismal service we did, we talked about those who confess, uh, confess with their mouth and believe with their heart. And then the very next verse after those Verses in Romans 10, it says, And those who put their trust in Christ will never be put to shame. You put all your chips on Christ? You, I mean, Caden, you know, Caden's part of Caden's testimony was to go all in. You go all in on Christ, you go all in on Christianity, you won't be put to shame. You won't regret it. You won't regret it. The Lord's will is never foolish. Secondly, the Lord's will is never selfish. The Lord's will is not for you to look out after yourself to the exclusion of other people. It just isn't. If the Lord is directing you to me first, that's not the Lord's will. It doesn't work like that. The Lord has you look out after, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. You will care about other people. And lastly, the Lord's will is never impossible. It's never impossible what he calls you to do. Sometimes... Sometimes people tell me I can't do that. I mean, I know the Bible says to do that. I cannot do that. Well, I don't think it's impossible. If God asks me to do it, by his grace, it can be done. It can't be done under my own strength. I'll grant you that. But if God calls me to do it, then I would say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Give me grace to accomplish what is pleasing to yourself. 
it's not impossible. What are your comments and questions? Well, I've only got one mic because I didn't use the wireless. So, oh, yeah, but somebody would have to turn it on. That's a good idea. Uh, anybody, you, somebody, yeah, it's probably the one that... Uh, oh, maybe it's already on. Let's see. Oh, it is on. Great. Okay, we're, we're good. All right. Comments and questions. This is like Phil Donahue. Come on, raise your hand. Oh, there's a hand right there. Where? Oh, nope. I thought Annie, Annie had a question. She had her hand up. Anybody? Comment, question? Sarah's bailing me out. I didn't want to ask it because I don't like microphones, but I actually have a question. Put it a little closer to your mouth. I can barely hear you. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So you said that all commentators agree that discerning the will of the Lord is specifically Jesus Christ. Correct. Why is that important? Um, it's just interesting. It's only, I'm not going to say it's important. I'd say it's interesting because generally, I think generally, maybe it's just me. Generally, when I think about uh, the will of God, most books and talks are about the will of God for you. But here, it's, at the very least, it's showing the importance of Christ or it's a claim to his divinity, his deity, uh, that, that we are to understand what the will of Christ is. And the will of Christ is going to be equal to the will of, of his Father as well. So it's just, it's, in, it's interesting. It's, it's a bit unusual. I'm not going to say it's specially significant necessarily. That's a good starter. Somebody else? There are trans. There are translations that uh, that bottom word Lord is the Father, not the Son. You say there are translations in yes. the New Testament. Yes. Like, can you give me a specific verse? I mean, I can't. No, no. That verse. Oh. Is translated as the Father. I think that's wrong. Okay. I'm it's, pretty sure that's wrong. It's translated Yehovah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to guess, probably because of yours is kind of a, a Hebrew slant on it, I think that's probably their, their go-to, but I'm pretty sure universally uh, that's considered not right. Uh, and it would be, I mean, I'd have to do a, a study to be thorough, but I can tell you that everything I've read uh, in, in the New Testament, Christ is Lord. It's, it's celebrating the deity of Christ. Somebody else? Uh, yes, Michael in the back. This is kind of odd. We're going to have to get some of these microphones. <laughs> yeah, so you, if we use the Bible to understand what the will of the Lord is and the Holy Spirit illuminates our understanding, how do we know if it's us or the Holy Spirit? Great question. And... Um, that's, it's nuanced and it's difficult, right? So it starts with the Bible. The Holy Spirit has to illuminate Scripture. And the Holy Spirit will never lead contrary to Scripture. And the church plays a very important role as well in coming alongside as to how we are to understand Scripture. So if I am reading my Bible and I'm like, the Holy Spirit has has led me to believe this about a, a particular text, and church tradition 
Long-standing church tradition says otherwise. I am almost guaranteed to be wrong. Uh, I've often said, when I teach the Bible, I'm not teaching anything new. I'm teaching old things. If I'm teaching something new, I'm wrong. God, God hasn't waited 2,000 years for me to give you the secret to understanding what the Bible really says. So we are discovering old things all the time because we need to rediscover those old things and we need to be reminded of those old things. So we are imperfect people. We will make mistakes and we will, we will be wrong on occasion. But the safeguards are we have to be in the context of a community understanding scripture and praying for the Spirit's illumination. And with that context and atmosphere, we are putting ourselves in a position to understand rightly, even though we will do it imperfectly, if that makes any sense. It's, it's an imperfect science. Um, we are all bound by certain traditions. We were all raised certain ways. So we have certain biases that we bring to scripture. I have certain biases. Uh, I have certain prejudices. And by God's grace, the more I'm in Scripture, the more I expose myself to what other people have said and understood, the closer I will come to what in fact is true. Now, there are certain cardinal doctrines that never change. I don't care whether you're Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Bible, whatever. There are certain cardinal elements of the faith that they are the same for all of the body of Christ. But there are nuances of difference where not everybody can be right. The easy one would be when Christ is, you know, what are the details regarding Christ coming back? You know, what's the timing look like? What's the scheme of events? You know, there good Christians disagree. What I know and what all the church agrees on is Christ is coming back in power and glory. He will reward the righteous and he will punish the wicked. Because there is such a thing as eternal life and there's such a thing as eternal punishment or separation. Those things are true about the future. Now, there's a lot of details in there where Christians disagree. Not everybody's right. It's within the realm of possibility that everybody's wrong. Fortunately, I think I'm right. But I've changed my position over the years, so maybe I'm wrong. Anybody, one last question? It's. I was going to say, looking at this and thinking through my own thought process on this, that it's understanding what the will of the Lord is seems in this case to be less understanding what I should do, although that is important. It's more how I should go about doing it. Absolutely. So walk wise, not uh, as unwise. And then to your point, scripture, well, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Being in scripture, reading through Proverbs and reading through the stories and looking at how the Israelites failed and how we fail and, and learning from that. Uh, going forward. So it's how, not what. Yeah. There's an old saying. Um, I forget who it's first, really, who it's attributed to. I, I, I can't remember if I found it with Luther or associated it with Augustine, but one or the other or both said, you know, what is the will of God? They summed it up this way. Love God and do what you want. Which almost sounds too simplistic. But if you love God with all your with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what you want, what you do, is going to be pleasing to him. So really, it encompasses a very powerful truth. Love God and do what you want. And that sounds like something Luther would say. I don't know that he did, but I'm sure he would second the motion. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer.